welcome to Bi Positive. These are your hosts, Mari. MMD. And today we'll be talking about a topic that sort of came up after we got a, an email from one of our listeners. Uh, you know who you are. <laughs> about, um, and it kind of triggered a discussion between the two of us about gender norms and how bisexual people do tend to screw with them <laughs> in a good way and how those gender norms also apply in the bedroom. So we're going to dedicate an episode talking about to talking about that. Yeah, gender norms in bed. <laughs> or not necessarily in a bed, but um, it's, it's um, of course, when you're attracted and potentially have sex with people of different genders, you have to challenge what is expected of you um, sexually, according to your gender. So the thing is, sexuality itself, you know, is... In the end, the social construct, those social norms that make us kind of be- behave in a certain way, like it goes to the to the point of Foucault, mm-hmm. uh, saying like sex- sexuality itself is built of discourse, is that it's not there's no you know there's the the biological reality and the, and the, and and the sensation and the somatic reality, but that what we do with it, like the idea of sexuality and the way we link it with romance potentially and feelings, is just cultural. It's constitutive discourse. Now, there's a lot of things that have been, been studied and said about sexuality, um, you know, this feminist perspective also about how um, in the world we live in today, uh, sexuality, female sexuality in particular, has been modeled by men as a, as a way to... Control to, them? To control them, yeah, to stay in a dominant position. Yeah. <laughs> and that... Uh, it goes to the, to the idea that there are, there's, you know, uh, a norm of or what's good and bad when it comes to sexual behavior. Gail Robin, who, who said that, that placing sexual behavior on a, on a moral continuum, but some label is good and other as bad, but it's all, uh, it all basically uh, based around the idea that the normal thing is to be in a, um, at least in the Western world, in a, in, a, in a married relationship, heterosexual one, and it's probably better if it's a same-race couple as well. And then from there we just have, we just uh, situate other behavior as good or bad compared to that. It's, there's also this, this, uh, this idea that I, I find very interesting that come from, uh, from a sociology field, the idea of script, sexual scripts. Scripts, it's uh, John Gagnon and, and William Simon who, who proposed that, in that the, the idea is um, that we, we learn what we're supposed to feel and, and desire and what is appropriate and that there are a way we're supposed to behave like, you know, a script to follow, um, depending on our um, age, race, class, what we're supposed to want or not want. And then, then you can add like that, like, you know, we have as human being this uh, tendency to go for what's forbidden. <laughs> but it's, what is interesting is that um, this whole perspective on sexuality in general, it's really embedded in like feminism, but also queer studies. And this idea of disconstructing sexuality also goes with the idea of queer studies because we, you can challenge gender norms. There's like this more academic perspective, but there's the reality of the experience, especially when you're bisexual or not monosexual, that you know you are going to experience in your life different type of behaviors that are going to challenge your own expectation about your gender. I mean, I think that there's two uh, the two examples of what. Uh, the two examples of what challenging the, the gender norm would be, you know, a guy who could be pretty manly in his gender expression, but would be, uh, when with guy, would be more of a bottom, and still uh, being in a more active way with women. You are, okay, 
being a bottom is not considered as manly, even in, in there's a lot of studies about that in um, on men who have sex with men, or that there's still stigmatization about not being the manly guy in the relationship. Like it's one of the examples of the other one is, you know, you can be more a woman, but more butch dominant masculine, but also and be more of a bottom in bed. And and even and even when you're bisexual with guys, it's 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 very there's a lot of variation there. Yeah, I wanna like break those down a little. Mm-hmm. Um, especially since you started talking about guys. And I don't think necessarily it's about being a bottom because you can be a I know a couple of very bossy ass bottoms who are men. It's not about that. I think it's about the fact that in the mainstream society, and also probably even uh, among a few gay men, it's considered taboo or considered to be not acceptable to um, to to to, for the lack of a better term, to be penetrated because mm-hmm. that's vulnerability. Yeah. Um, and I think it comes down to that. It's it's this idea of submissiveness and allowing someone to invade your body in this way that makes men very uncomfortable. Well, guess what, guys? We've been doing this for centuries. Um, but it's it's not it's not it's against that script of yeah. what being a guy is supposed to be. Yeah, at least in the Western culture. In the Western culture, yeah. Yeah, and that kind of also comes down to why I think, and I think a lot of people would agree with me why. A lot of straight men are uncomfortable with the subject of, well, gay sex first, and just anal sex in general when it's done to them. Yeah, to them, yeah, because yeah. a lot of them are just very yeah. willing to try doing that to other people. Yeah, but, I mean, it it takes a lot of guts for guys, or even a straight guy, um, especially a straight guy, to, to work up to that. And to yeah. allow someone this close. Because that's just not the, the social expectation that they have. Yeah. I think, I mean, we're here like outside of the like bisexual experience. But I think it's a, I mean, it'd be interesting to have this perspective. Because when you're you know straight and, and, and be with a partner that, he, that has a sexuality that is more uh, multiform, mm. you, you are, I mean, it's an, it's an occasion to uh, explore other stuff. Mm. It's one thing to be more uh, flexible in your what you do in bed when you have already had to accept that your attraction is not to just mm. um, the opposite gender, whatever that might mean. But when you you know you're uh, straight and you agree to try other things uh, and you're willing to explore that, I think it like does that. It takes a lot of guts to just do that yeah. and and. and uh, go behind those boundaries and I and I mean that as not as doing something forbidden because that's the one thing you can you know some people want to try stuff because it's a forbidden thing we'll never do it again and it's it's playing with the uh, with boundaries and and what, what what's acceptable and I'm talking about people who are ready to um, embrace it mm. it's not what's expected on me of me because I'm a woman or I'm a man, but I am enjoying it. I'm doing it. Mm. And another thing about social expectations, and this also came from this uh, sexology book that we'll definitely uh, reference in the comments, mm. about how heterosexual men, and I think I would also expand it to um, to queer men as well, that there is this expectation of like virility almost, which is why Viagra is such an important product that is even covered by insurance in some countries, mm-hmm. which to me blows my mind. But there is this stigma surrounding erectile dysfunction. There's this stigma surrounding men who are maybe less into sex, which mm-hmm. is totally fine. But there is this 
idea that a man has to be always prepared for sex. Uh, not in the sense of protection, funnily enough, but in the sense of like, okay, let's go, let's do this. Yeah, which is not necessarily the case. Not always. No, no, that's totally fine. I mean, that, that was I mean, uh, making me think about the, you know, it's how you also have to challenge the idea of what you want, you can do in bed and what you can enjoy and what's actually works for you mm. um, it's also when you, you, you have some kind of a disability because I was thinking you know yeah but some men actually can't get an erection for some reasons and so they have to be a little more creative mm. and they can still enjoy mm. uh, sex and, and, and have some, a form of sexuality so it's, uh, it's not even a form of it's a sexuality uh, it's 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 crazy how even when you try to not to 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 um to fall into those traps you you know it's very easily no it's it's not because it doesn't follow the expected scripts mm-hmm. that it's not sex and it and it, and it's yeah and to add to that I also wanted to dedicate some time to um uh all the uh, men who have sex with people who have vaginas who refuse to go down on them because. I'm sorry, boys, but it's 2018 and it's time. And also, there is this, like, weird idea that women are expected to go down on their partners all the time. Mm. And guys aren't. Because vaginas smell like fish and they're gross. I think, yeah. According to I mean, it's, popular it, culture. It's based on that and the fact that phalluses have been considered as, as, the, uh, as a desirable thing for centuries. Yeah. And, um, I mean, even more than centuries, like, you know, all those uh, graffitis in Pompeii. Yeah. And, yeah. But, and I'm, I'm saying fallacies because that's, that's a, that the plot twist of the last few years is to understand that actually the clitoris is not different. Yeah. It's a form of phallus. And so, yeah, so, what, you know what? Yeah, it's terrible because it's the organ of pleasure mm. and it works for both uh, people who have vaginas and penises, so... <laughs> and uh, speaking of which, let's also move on to women. Oh, yeah. Because um, we've, we've talked about guys long enough. Um, <laughs> sorry, guys. Uh, sorry, boys. Uh, not today. I also wanted to talk about um, sort of... We, we touched on this discussion when we talked about body image. The, the fact that women, queer women in general, tend to be stereotyped by the way they look. So if you dress a certain way, you're considered butch. If you dress another way, you're considered femme or whatever, anything in between. And from that, we already make inferences as to how you are in bed. Yeah. Which is completely wrong. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's true for gay guys as well. Yeah, but you know, there's always this, this, this question of, okay, so in your relationship, if you're two women... Who wears the strap on? Yeah, <laughs> and who is who's the guy? Yeah, who's the guy? Doesn't mean anything. But... It means who is the who's the one on top? That's what yeah. they're asking. They're asking it who who wears the pants in this relationship, which okay, one person can wear the pants, but that does not mean that they're going to be the one who's the dominant partner in bed. Yeah, it's yeah. It those can be completely different dynamics, and that don't have to be one partner more dominant than the other. It's it's. I mean, it really depends on the on the people. But, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm going back to you guys, but, you know, it's because we, to link the link with the uh, episode we did on, and with comedians, the comedian mm-hmm. that, like, like, looks a lot more like a more feminine mm-hmm. gay guy, but actually bisexual. Mm-hmm. One of the assumptions is that can't be bi, because has he's more feminine in mm. his expression or manners, he has to be a bottom, so he can't be with women. Yeah. So... 
Which is completely wild. Yeah. <laughs> and um, also oh, this idea that femme queer women are total pillow princesses and, you know, will not will never take charge in bed. And I found this um, quote. It's from the book Girl Sex 101, which is a fantastic read. It's good for anyone who... Actually, it's good for anyone. Period. Straight guys could should read it. Trans people should read it. Queer women should definitely read it. So it's it's written for everyone. Yeah. Um, and there's a, a sort of quote from a femme queer woman there. Um, when I wear a strap on, it's not a sex toy, but my cock that I control and can feel. I love being a femme, owning my feminine nature, and still being able to orgasm from using my cock. It took time to become one with my strap on, but now it feels so right to be wearing one as though I was born with my silicone cock. It's part of my fierce femme identity. I own the ability to give and receive pleasure. You see how that can be, like, it can be weird for people to hear that. Not because, you know, it, it's actually strange, but because the expectation is different. Yeah. Which, again, femme queer women can do whatever the hell they want in bed. You can do whatever the hell you want in bed, as long as you're being safe. And um, and and, yeah, and you see that the, exact, the exact illustration of that your script mm. that you know you're feminine, which means you're supposed to behave like a woman is expected to behave submissive, submissive. Mm. In that narrative about sex that has been written mainly by straight men mm. for centuries. And speaking of submission, I also wanted to dedicate some time to like dominance and submission in bed in the in more like a BDSM mm-hmm. sense, because. I feel like, especially after Fifty Shades of Grey, thanks for that, um, came out, people have this idea that you're either a dominant or a submissive or, like, you're vanilla. And those are, like, the three categories that you can be in, which is not true. There are some people who prefer to play on the dominant side. There There are some people who are naturally more submissive and they're comfortable in that. But most people are in a spectrum. Uh, between dominance and submission, and most people travel along that spectrum depending on the situation, depending on their partner, depending on their mood, depending on their hormone levels, you name it. There is nothing inherently shameful or wrong about being more dominant or more submissive. It's all in us uh, to a certain degree. I think it's just a little essentialist to think about our sexuality and our attitude towards romance and sex as dictated just simply by our biology mm-hmm. and the country that we grew up in or something like that. It's it's too simplistic. Yeah, I mean, you know, in this idea that sexuality is also a construct, mm-hmm. I I mean I've always been um, I've always been convinced that sex is what you want it to be, as in depending also who you are and your sensitivity and, and where you're with, but and what you can do and because some people can have sex just for fun, other need to be more engaged like with romantic feelings and everything, but it's really about what you want it to be, what you can make of it and what you want it to be. And it can be beautiful and it can be completely sorted. Mm. Uh, it's not a thing in itself. It's what you do with it yeah. and how, how, you, how you live it, how you share. And you also wanted to discuss, um, I think, we talked about the different kinds of sex that you can have, but also there is, I think there is a widespread misconception of what sex actually is <laughs> because yeah. when we talk about sex we circle back to the beginning yeah we're circling back to the beginning where sex is it's a const- piv yeah <laughs> and it's um supposed to lead to orgasms every time yeah i think and it's sex in which the female partner 
if we're talking about straight sex, and usually when we talk about sex, we probably think straight sex. People think straight yeah, sex. Pe- I don't think straight sex, but people think straight yeah, sex. No, most people. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a heterosexual couple where the woman is on the bottom, so to speak, mm-hmm. and both are expected to have orgasms, which, eh, you know. If you, if you want to <laughs> just explain, because, I mean, that's kind of a... The idea we're following here about that idea of script. You know, we, we, we are shaped to think in a certain way by our environment. Yes, when we say, okay, sex, most people are just going to start, think about straight sex, like intercourse type of sex, uh, PAV. Uh, like, it, it's it's that same example, if you take a different type of example, like, you know, when they're Harry Potter, um, they're the play, mm-hmm. and they're the black Hermione. Mm-hmm. And when you read the description of the character, she mm-hmm. can be any skin color, you mm-hmm. know, it's not that he has bushy hair and that would fit mm-hmm. with with uh, someone from a, from an African ancestry. So that that's that's something that fits but n- most people and most white people and even uh, black people or people of color who have who live in a mainly white world would picture her as white. Yeah. Because that's a script. That's how we're influenced to, to think. And then we can challenge that. Because of our own identity, or because we we just reflect about it, and there's the fact that yeah, okay, oh my god, I had seen her differently, but mm-hmm. that makes sense that she could look like that. It's the same when you say okay, you talk about sex, most people are going to think straight, PIV sex, and then when you are different because of your sexual orientation or because you have reflected on it, you can see okay, sex can be completely different than that. Yeah, not what people are going to think, and of course, because of that, you're going to behave in a certain way. Mm. And it's and it's this idea of deconstructing the scripts that you have to do when you're queer in general, and even more when you're bi plus, yeah, because you are interacting with different genders. Yeah, I mean everyone would benefit of doing that. Yeah, I think it may come a little bit. I wouldn't say easier because by all means it's not easy. It comes more as a direct consequence for people who are trans. Mm-hmm. and people who are intersex who have to kind of negotiate sex from the very beginning mm-hmm. that's going to be different uh, from what is expected of their gender yeah and and to to like you said to get creative mm-hmm. um, and also because yeah. you know you have experience both with a set of genitalia that is opposite to your gender identity or not the same as your gender identity you already have I think uh, a head start mm-hmm. on on learning how to respond to different partners and to see what works for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this study. I mean, there are a lot of different studies on that, but most, most a lot of men, about men, but um, this one about women, women who are in relationship with uh, women, we're talking about gender here, mm-hmm. and biological sex, and they do, with no surprise, hold broader definition of sex than other people, other groups of people. That's mm-hmm. not a surprise. That yes, uh, like you know, um, touching your partner genitals would be considered as a sexual act, which and sex, which for most straight people wouldn't be me- mostly foreplay and not even considered interesting. Um, <laughs> They're messing a lot. <laughs> that's all. I'm saying. And so no, so that's that's here. And and when you when you were hearing that, it's interesting in that study is that when you have people who have a less expectation of what sex is when they're unsatisfied with your sex life with a sex life it's just that they want to have more sex than they actually have mm. and it's and it's not the quality and it's not how they have sex but it's just about you know the discrepancy between the expectation yeah. 
and how much they have actually they have to actually and 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 I don't have like study to to come at the counterpoint, but I'm pretty sure that if you ask ask a straight woman about that, you would have a lot of yeah, a little happier about how they have sex mm. more than how much. It's um, I mean it's not based on any study scientific mm. anything, but I think it's common knowledge. Um, no, there are actually studies that prove that for women, women who are in uh, in relationship or have sex with women are more satisfied. Wow, that's such a surprise. Um, the bottom line is that you know whatever kind of sex you have, as long as you discuss it with your partner and you're on the same page, there is nothing shameful about it. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, if you're having sex with young children and little animals or any animals, I mean, yeah, we then... we're talking here about consensual sex between people who can consent. Yes. So old enough, and you know, with a conscience and and way of expressing consent with human language. So <laughs> anything that is inside that um, category is not weird. <laughs> okay. So the bottom line is, you you need to discuss it with with your partner and to come to an agreement but i think i you know i'm all about honesty uh, with your partners because you can try to pretend that you're someone you're not with just to, to kind of get an in with a person that you're attracted to but you can't keep it up for long um and i do believe that when when you do something that make that makes you passionate and that makes you feel good that's when you are at your best and uh, the author of the Yosef's um, book seems to agree with me by saying, you're most attractive when you're engaged in something you love. And that's not just limited to sex by any means, but that's part of it as well. And um, to finish up, I also wanted to offer another quote from the book. Seriously, just read the book, okay? Because I can quote the whole thing to you. Your identity is not a recipe. Bush bottoms exist. So do stone femmes, trans guy pillow queens, trans women who like getting blowjobs, dykes who sleep with cis dudes, monogamous kinksters, and on and on and on. Humans contain multitudes. Sharing your identity label doesn't actually say anything about how you like to fuck. So, um... Yeah, I think there's nothing to add to that. Yeah. Be free. <laughs> and if you have any input... <laughs> Get what I said. Sorry. Um, if you have any input about what we we're talking about today from a different perspective, maybe we would love to hear it from you either on our Twitter or send us an email. And we do love receiving your emails. Those are always great. They make our day and we will always reply to them um, because it's, it's important for us also to see that there's feedback in this community. And otherwise, we will talk to you next week. Bye.